Welcome to Spinning Out. I'm your host, Josh Robbins. This is a podcast where we talk to artists about their favorite albums. Today we're talking with Pat Flynn of Fiddlehead, also previously of Have Heart and Sweet Jesus. We chatted about the 1987 self-titled album by Embrace. That's Ian MacKay's band after Minor Threat and before Fugazi. We also touched on Egg Hunt, Skewbald, and Revolution Summer, so don't worry. I did forget to mention to Pat how much I dug the Sweet Jesus album, so please listen to that if you haven't. Fiddlehead has a new album, Between the Richness, coming out on May 21st on Run for Cover Records. Really loved the last album and definitely looking forward to this one. Okay, check us out on patreon.com slash spinningoutpod. Also, follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you do that sort of thing. Tell a friend. Tell everyone. Seriously. Okay, let's chat with Pat Flynn. Hey Pat, how's it going? Pretty good. Um, for context, uh, uh, Derek Chauvin was just found guilty of all three charges, and uh, like about an hour ago or two hours ago, uh, and uh, yeah. I think that that's a good turn of events for for the country and, and the world. So, uh, in that sense, that's what's on my mind. Beyond just doing, great. yeah. It- it's definitely uh it's definitely like heavily on my mind as well i don't know how it wouldn't be right now uh i you know i watched it just pulled it up on tv while i was working and it's like it kind of surprised me honestly it just honestly didn't expect like anything good to happen you know uh with it um just kind of like you haven't really seen a lot of cops. I know we're getting into this right off sure. the bat, but you haven't seen a lot of cops uh, be guilty. You know, be I guess I'm not saying the right words. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's kind of surprising in that degree. Like you just kind of see it happen over and over again, and nothing happens to them, yeah. or they just get moved somewhere else. So, but it also kind of like as as soon as it sort of made me feel like, you know as soon as he was uh guilty or mm-hmm. you know uh, it was just still like we have so much further to go but you know that's kind of where it was just like uh, this is just starting really hopefully yeah yeah for yeah. sure uh it's a good chance it it will be a new era moving forward on, on even on just like on a legal level i'm not a legal expert and i wouldn't in any way shape or form call myself knowledgeable on the u.s legal system um but my good friend is a lawyer here in boston and he was just remarking on the um not too long ago he was just explaining to me how like the the role of precedents functions in, in the u.s legal system and uh you know cases are made and and won or lost based on precedents and so if you can as a lawyer research in other areas and there's a precedent for uh, a conviction or some type of upholding the innocence of somebody that that really does matter so it is it is a pretty it's significant 
um, potentially significant turning point in the, US, in the U.S. legal system. Again, uh, don't take my <laughs> don't take my words for it, but uh, I, and I don't I don't mean to the for this to go like jump right into the politics. It's a music podcast. Um, but, uh, I mean, it, it, it's, it's an hour and a half, two hours old, I guess at this point. Um, yeah, it's definitely there. Um, uh, uh, but I don't know. It kind of like, uh, I, I'm not doing this just to get us into embrace. Um, just, I'm so bad about like what song like corresponds with what lyric. And it's just, uh, I think you'll be better at this than me because I, th- I listened to a somewhat recent Axe or Grind and you seem to have a decent grasp on uh, what the lyrics of this record were. Um, but it's just like the one that's like, we are nothing but, if nothing but politics. And I know I butchered oh, that yeah. really bad. And it's, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. I know. I know. I know the song. Uh, your, your. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, for, for greater context i i walked into this you hit me up not long ago and i was like yeah it's like one of my all-time favorite records and as the the date to do this came close to close i was like you know what i'm not gonna like i'm not gonna go like re go back and and, and oh, research yeah. and have like i'm just gonna jump in and like uh your something something or nothing but politics so there, there might be some holes in my mind because i didn't do the the yeah, insincere yeah. thing i didn't either i think i put that off on you to be the expert i think i do that really every episode I, I, so i, 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 so, I mean i, de- I definitely i wouldn't <laughs> i mean I, it's not that i'm an expert i just i absolutely love this record and i think it's like i actually think it's like colored my life uh it influenced me profoundly uh it's, whether it's i wish i money can't forgive like the 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 lyrical sentiments throughout this whole record have like informed my whole decision making. But at this current moment, I can't recall <laughs> it, your, yeah. 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 I mean, I wouldn't be able in, in the sense of we're just, I won't be able to, you know, I'll probably edit most of that out. So we sound, <laughs> so I sound better than that. Um, but, but yeah, it's just when I was, I listened to it right before we came on and just like thinking of like the Derek Chauvin stuff and it's just, and I know the context of that song is definitely different, but just like thinking of the idea of like, like a lot of this record is like a, it's like politics in a way that it's like so personal. And I guess I haven't even set up like the preamble for it. We are talking about Embrace's album from, well, it was put out in 1987. Um, so just to give a little bit of the facts so people don't think I don't know anything. Uh, so it came out on Discord Records in 1987, recorded by Don Ziantara. Um, it was from summer 1985 to spring 1986. And if anyone doesn't know and not aware, this is a pre-Fugazi band. I guess you could say this was... Well, definitely after Minor Threat and pre-Fugazi. So now that I have that out of the way, um, do you remember the first time you heard this record? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I remember exactly. Uh, maybe that speaks to like my love for it. Uh, I was a... I think I was a sophomore in high school. And so... I wanted that that would be 1999. It might have been 2000, year 2000. And I'm like, started going to shows, like actual hardcore shows. And 
the summer of 1999, um, discovered minor threat around then. So I spent about, you know, like a year of my life, absolutely worshiping minor threat. And my brother had listened. He was a big Sonic youth head. And in the nineties, if you like Sonic youth, you oddly, you, you more than likely, if you were like of the nineties, alt punk scene, if you like Sonic youth, you probably liked Fugazi too. It wasn't strange. I don't think. Um, but my brother was more of a Sonic youth guy but had repeater. So I knew the name and I knew that the singer minor threat Ian was in Fugazi. So that, that's like really all I, I knew. And I knew that I didn't like Fugazi when, in, when I was 14, I, I, cause I didn't, I didn't get it. Um, they're one of my favorite bands now, but like, I remember just like the rawness of the opening of filler was just like something that a very untalented, angry 14 year old really enjoyed. Um, so like fast forward, I'm like fully acculturated into the punk and hardcore scene in Massachusetts. <clears throat> I feel like I've like found my tribe and it's the fall. Uh, it was like October and it was somewhere in kind of like Southern Rhode Island. I think it was like in Barrington, Rhode Island or something like that. I was at a show and uh, an elder statesman, well, older, like two years older than me. Uh, <laughs> at the time, he felt like an elder statesman. Uh, his name was James Whittle. Uh, he, I think he, he just, I, he was giving me a ride home after the show. I got a ride with someone else and he was giving me a ride home. And uh, he had a tape that just had in like black ink on it. It just said, embrace and i thought that it it was an embrace today record uh, <laughs> and i was yeah. like and this is before embrace today became like this kind of like militant straight edge tough guy band embrace today was oddly enough like kind of like a posi hardcore band before they became this big thing i don't know if you're familiar with them at all no i'm i'm pretty familiar with them i have like a weird sidebar with about embrace today real quick yeah. i remember one time it was the uh, the tougher record um so i remember i bought the cd it was like i was on the drive home and there was a part in one of the songs where uh the guy whispered like whisper sing <laughs> and and i turned my car around and took it back to the place and was like i just bought this i don't want this um can i trade it for something else um so maybe that's 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 more so showing kind of what i was kind of an asshole as a kid just kind of like that was enough to turn me off of them but i don't even think in hindsight like i really dislike them now i've heard them since but but yes what you were saying but yeah i'm familiar yeah. with embrace today sorry if any of them ever listened to this right. um yeah they were there when they were they see they were from uh kingston and Plymouth, Massachusetts, and I was from New Bedford, and that's both of those towns are from. I was from a Cushnet. They would both those, like if you were from Plymouth, you would play New Bedford. So like we, we knew them, and like they kind of were like a little cheesy, and like the before they became like this militant band. Anyway, so I was surprised. 
that James Whittle had in a car. And I remember saying, I was like, what is this embrace today? You, you listen to that. Oh God. And, and I don't, again, I am sure they're fine human beings. And um, yeah, I mean, I think it's probably, it's almost like looking at probably how you would react in the music. Like when you were, yeah, young, yeah you know, I'm like, 15 at this time. So, yeah. and I, and I, yeah. so, <laughs> and I, I think I was like 16 when I did the yeah. same thing. So yes, I think we're off. The <laughs> Please don't beat us up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Please. I live a little further South. I think. Okay. You're, um, uh, yeah. So anyway, um, I, uh, I also had something to prove because I, you know, James is older than me and uh, you know, his, his older brother, Pat Whittle was in the scene. So he was like a respected guy in the scene anyway. So I was like trying to, I was probably trying to do something cool being like you like embrace today. Uh, <laughs> but uh, so, and he was like, no man, this is embrace. And I was like, what, what's in, what's embrace. And he's like, this is, this is Ian's band after minor threat. And I was like, he had a band after minor threat. I thought he just had Fugazi, you know, I'm, I'm like brand new to the table and he puts it in. And the first song that's on the tape is, is uh is can't forgive and you know for trying to understand like what i was familiar with in terms of, like what hardcore was it was just like you know minor threat soa void uh gorilla biscuits use it today bold you know just like the iconic classics of like you know of like the 80s like and I didn't really think that like hardcore punk had the capacity to have a melodic sound to it, nor did I really think that it, I, I don't even think I was really all that into Bane, which was probably the only bit at the time that really had like a lyrical, like a poetic approach to writing lyrics. So he puts in can't forgive and that opening opening riff i was like this is this is unbelievable this this sounds nothing like i've ever heard before and I more or less instantly became obsessed with it because then i i i think i i ended up like asking james if i could borrow the tape and i just kept listening to it back and i remember i remember thinking like like the like the the nature of what hardcore punk was was infinitely bigger than I had ever thought it could be. And I think that probably discovering Embrace early on in my hardcore punk time uh, experience allowed for me to have like a, an incredibly larger view as to what hardcore and punk can be, especially because it was like, you know, just Ian, um, Ian's band like right after Minor Threat. So like it just it just seemed it, it stayed with me from that point on. And I think that from like from that point on, every band that I wanted to do had to have some type of like poetic device in the lyrics and and and, and have a musical capability that I uh that I that I that I could hear in the embrace record. And I also, you know, this is just fast forwarding um it like to today i i 
I still haven't heard a record that sounds like this. Like I've heard attempts that, Mm -hmm. you know, come up short. And, but like, I, like, I just, I mean, some of these, some of these riffs are unbelievable. I have tried to get basically every single band I've ever done, which is a lot at this point, with the exception of a couple to, to cover can't forgive. I, I, <laughs> and and every yeah. time the the guitarist of the band's I don't play an instrument so I don't know what what is like feasible. Every time I get close to the end of the jet, they're like, oh, "It's way too hard of a song to play." <laughs> and I'm like, "Yeah, oh well, damn." I, I, like and, and so there's so much going on in the musical writing and and the history surrounding the band. It's just like it uh, it, it adds that much more weight to their significance. Um, so yeah, this record is pretty etched in stone on me, but yeah, I was 15 and it was the fall of 2000. So 21 years ago. Um, and, uh, I, I still throw it on every, every year. And I still ask every mem- every guitarist of every band I'm in to cover them. But we never do. Yeah. I've, I've tried so many times to get, uh, bands I'm in to cover it. And even if we don't end up sounding anything, like I don't think my band doesn't sound anything like Embrace, but I've still tried to do it. Like and then it's yeah, it doesn't usually happen. Mm-hmm. Um, for for same reasons, I guess. I it's weird too thinking about like I don't know. Most of the members were in Faith, uh, so it's like, how is it such a hard song to play in that regard? Like how is that even possible? <laughs> it feels <laughs> like you know, it's like they were children. Mm-hmm. You know, essentially still at this point, like. It's like if they were like 17 and minor threat or younger when they started it, then it's like, we're still talking about like 19 year olds, you know? So it's like, yeah. You know, I, yeah. I, uh, I mean, I'm 35, I'm going to be 36. And I mean, ha- how old is, is, how old, how old is like Ian and Hampton in the, while, while they're in this band? Like, I, I don't know. I, I'm like curious enough that I will do a podcast no no and try and find out. I, like, because it, it, it sort of, I feel like it'll give such good context. So, well, I always, I Ian, always, mar- Ian, I would assume was the older of well, them. He's but... 19 in whenever, 16. in 1980. Ian's 19 in 1980. So he's only like 24, like 24, 20. He's like, he's barely in his mid 20s. And I don't like. Yeah. I'm assuming the other guys in the band are roughly around the same age group, but yeah. Uh, but like you were saying, kind of the elder statesman thing. I almost wonder if it's like, well, because wait, is Alec his younger brother? Yeah, Ian's okay. So it's like one of those things when you're when you're younger, it's like someone being like two years younger than you would have felt like another generation. So mm-hmm. like everyone in faith probably was like only like two years younger than him i'm 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 guessing yeah. you know or any of the got soa to f- faith people that are in this band <laughs> but um, like the jump from soa to embrace <laughs> like unbelievable <laughs> yeah yeah that, that, that's the that's the like i mean i i don't want to run the conversation in this direction but like i the questions i have about the creation of this band to me are of like a friend of mine, my good, uh, 
uh, the bassist of, of Havar Austin Stemper, he, um, he and I actually thought about doing a, a whole podcast dedicated to just this record, you know, like, tw- like 14 hours long or something like that, mm. just to like yeah. interviewing the people and the, like, you know, we're part of the, the time frame, but like, there's just so many questions that come into the process of the creation of this, this record. Of course, it's part of a larger era of like the revolution summer moment, but uh, yeah, I just, I've wanted, I've wanted to write a book about revolution summer, but you know, it's like, it's like why it, it one, it feels like it could either be like a pamphlet or this might be like a thousand page book. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 um, my one of my bands, Sweet Jesus, recorded with um, Jay Robbins from Shotbox, and I was just punishing him. With I've punished him. Oh yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. We get we get kind of we almost get pushed together because it's like because I'm Josh Robbins, like people, uh, you know, it's like the Jay Robbins <laughs> yeah. thing. It's even become like an ongoing joke online where like all of my handles are like other Jay Robbins. Uh-huh. Um, but I, I've, I've been able to just say, I've been able to punish him too, to the point where it's like, when we got an opportunity to record with him, I purposely, we, we talked about it in the band. We purposely didn't take it because we were worried that we were just going to like be really weird, like with how much we were going to punish Jay Robbins about like late era government issue, yeah. which to me is my favorite era. Of oh, really? Issue. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm sure okay. he liked that. <laughs> uh, yeah. What? Well, well, I, yeah, I, I teach. Uh, I, I, <laughs> I I I teach uh, a course on modern world history and early modern and later modern history. But one of the units of study is the uh, the age of revolution and the question we bring to the table is like, you know, to what extent did historians get it right with this label? Like, was the age of revolution really revolutionary? And, um. You know, I asked Jay that question about Revolution Summer, and um, I'll, I'll I'll keep his answer uh, inward. But uh, it, 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 he he said, "Well, I'll, I'll he, yeah." He responded, uh, "Revolutionary for some people," and uh, so that that <laughs> kind of you know, I was like, "All right, I can see some of the romance of my understanding of this period uh, cracking." But out. I mean, I think like even if some of it I try and think about, like, why was it, like, why is it called Revolution Summer? Like, you know, I, I've seen any of the documentaries about it, and there definitely was, like, political activism mm-hmm. that was happening. So I guess that kind of answers my question. But musically, it's hard to think about in context. But I guess if you're thinking about something being from SOA to Embrace, even musically, that was a huge leap. You yeah, know? I think that the... Like, musically like so we're on the right path here when i get what i say to my students is like when we look to the age of revolution we want to think maybe politically revolutionary for some but socially and economically not so much but but musically i think that there's a good there's a good argument a reasonable argument that revolution summer really was revolutionary i I, like i don't really you it doesn't seem like like what predates, I mean, this is only like just a few years into the era of quote unquote hardcore. Uh, but what 
what is i mean you have the post-punk era in, yeah. in, in the uk and i i know that uh what was it it's the was the band after generation x empire was pretty was yeah. pretty influential on this embrace record i remember someone telling me that when i was like 19 and like i i went and listened to empire and I, I like i remember not really getting the idea that that was an influence but maybe maybe it was like influential in terms of like this like you know postness i guess you could say you know like what comes after an era but you know, the way that Minor Threat looked look to Wire and like just the other UK bands, but sped things up. I, I, I do, that's really not that much though. Like, it was, I guess the point I'm trying to make is like, in the case of Embrace, I don't, it seems, this record seems revolutionary. It really does. Like yeah. when I, in which you, if you consider what precedes it, and if you also consider the timeline afterwards, I think from that point on, you, you just, you, you just, I'm, I'm like, I'm just putting all the revolution summer bands in there, but I do think embraces the hands down best one. Uh, I've, I've had, I agree. I, yeah. I, I've had yeah. long arguments with people about embrace over right to spring and that's fine. And well, I love right to spring End on end is one of my all time favorite songs, but I would take, the embrace record a thousand times over right to spring if i had to choose but nonetheless though like i i i mean it goes without saying it it it's set in motion a a vulnerability or emotional element to what was constituted as hardcore and punk that just really to me verbal assault comes close but what's the time like i don't know like what's the timeline on verbal assault trial does that come out i think that's like i think that's around 85 but uh, i always think about this the difference of we can essentially say this was like 85 to 86 uh even though it came out in 87 um but verbal assault trial or even just looking at like dri crossover like just that era mm -hmm. of things becoming crossover like i really feel like that's even though it, the record is called crossover it's mm -hmm. like really does it's a point in time that kind of says that bands were either going to go, it's like bands decided to either go like, uh, I guess like rock mm -hmm. or metal almost. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, then you had like TSOL started getting hairspray mm -hmm. and stuff. Um, you know, so, so it's like a really weird defining time where everyone kind of went like the type of hardcore we were playing is kind of done at this moment, which is such a weird, like self-aware kind of thing that i don't feel maybe it's like i get weird it feels weird because i'm like do we ever have these moments like now or do we just not realize they're happening because we're in them you know it's like like i haven't felt that much of a seismic shift or is it a seismic shift in like hindsight with revolution summer mm -hmm. you know i see it's interesting so like unlike the quote unquote revolutionary figures of the historical age of revolution uh you know the the revolution summer people were literally calling it revolution summer <laughs> yeah. and I, I think the idea came in like late winter early spring so like you know like let's just i and so that's that's a little bit interesting in terms of it being an intentional move um but uh 
I, it's a good question. I, I, I tend with my, I've been going to, been going to shows for over 20 years now. I I've seen, I don't, I don't like calling them cycles, uh, mm-hmm. you know, because I, I think that's a bad understanding of, of the cycles kind of feels like this has this element of repetition to it. And I don't think that things really, really actually repeat. They, they kind of seem similar over time, but like in my 20 plus years, you know, like to get to your question on like, do you notice it when it's happening? I think that if you're young enough, you don't, <laughs> but if you're old enough, you can kind of better understand the historicity of the, of the moment. Yeah. You know, you can kind of be like, oh, this is, this is, this is another big deal. And I, and I, and I'm curious that I, I bet that the, you know, people like Ian, you know, like in 85, you know, they were technically the elders of the scene in 85. Yeah. So like, even though they had been only going to shows for like five years, but like, you know, it had been this, they had wit- created, you know, witness, created witness experienced one seismic thing they probably didn't even know it was happening so then you get to this next moment and you kind of realize that like oh we we made that happen and we can you know in in our understanding of our potential we can make these we can make something like that happen again hence maybe why there was this intentional we're gonna call it revolution summer and we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna cur- curve the pitch a little bit more so it's not this kind of aping of itself uh yeah i guess maybe i guess then we're sort of we're kind of referring to i'm i'm kind of putting words in your mouth but i guess like if they essentially if ian if we could say ian and his friends created straight edge uh then it's like they realized they created that and then maybe by the that point they were like this is gotten to a point where it's not exactly what we thought it would be Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. and like even if you look at like ssd Mm -hmm. and like the boston scene like it probably was more like a violent thing Mm -hmm. um and you know just you know anyone can read the book dance of days and you know they even talk about in there it's kind of like looking at that violence and then kind of wanting to go like the other way and i guess that's another thing of where this was like a revolution against that musically Mm -hmm. um and but it also just feels like it's kind of like feels like something that i did like around around the time that i started going like college it's kind of like you hit get hit this realization where it's like punk or whatever subculture you might have already been a part of like there's more out there Mm -hmm. and so hence this was musically i think that was like the revolution that they were leading just like there's more we can do to this it's not i guess you know, fighting at <laughs> hardcore shows, you know? Yeah. I don't know. No, well, I, we've, I, we're, we've really built the context for this record now. But, yeah. It's uh, a lot. Cause it's like, there's a lot, there's so many directions you can go in. Totally. So it's like, fuck, this is a really hard record to talk about in that respect, because it's like you, like you were saying about doing it, it really does need a podcast in itself because it's sort of like, you really kind of need to map out one facet mm-hmm. of, embrace and talk about that mm. for the episode and then go into like another one right because it's sort of like it or you just kind of pick a through line and <laughs> go to that and i guess because it, it's like even if if you go off of ian and go to the other members 
you yeah you have hours and hours worth of conversation and in there <laughs> i know man it's 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 <laughs> uh, that's why my friend austin and i have started putting the things together it'd be a fun project to do but like and then there's just like the you know that's only just like the the creation of it. and then there's the story of the destruction of the band <laughs> like you know like yeah. uh you know just the real time like you know why did this band stop i remember there's just there's one interview with ian and um what's his face from from big black uh steve albini uh there was, there was yeah. some interview that i i listened to between the two of them it was a great interview steve albini was like yeah i remember the first time i heard embrace it was the worst thing i've ever heard in my entire life <laughs> he's like saying that <laughs> saying that to ian mckay and ian just goes yeah okay uh <laughs> but um yeah uh, you know I, I i'd love to know more about the like really like more not just a little bit i want to know why a band that could write this record with like with with the people in it would just break up like you have to like really have some like some some problems to make you go like you know what it's not worth it to continue this band yeah and you know i, I remember i think the thing i remember in that interview is that ian just sort of very quickly said like oh the band broke up very in a very unceremonious manner I'm like, how the fuck does a band like this who writes this record break up unceremoniously? Like, anyway, there's just there's a lot to yeah, dive into. I I wonder about uh, that is a good question. Uh, man, what what I think about like even just like okay, so let's say they recorded it from summer of '85 to spring '86 is what Wikipedia says. Um, but it's like, when did they even find the time to write this record? You know, it's like it's like. Yeah, I mean, I own a home and, you know, I have, we all have lives. So it's like, I'm looking, this is the meantime right now. It's like, I'm looking at an LP that my band has been working on for the last three years. <laughs> and it's like, it's like, I don't, I don't know how they did this in that, that amount of time. Like this record, like basically, if you think about it, it's like this record was essentially written in like a matter of months. Mm -hmm. you know it's just insane that about right <laughs> to me uh which sounds like a very like young person thing to do but mm -hmm. for it to still be a record that 30 for four years later or so that we're still talking about yeah. is the more surprising end mm -hmm. of it and, um, and there, I'm, I'm just looking at the track listing here and there's no there's no filler. <laughs> no, I was I, okay. I do this thing when I every, with every episode yeah. where I try and think about like what song would I cut. Okay, yeah. Um, and with this one, all I could really do is just star the one that I thought was the best song. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it's I I think the best song in this record is "Can't Forgive," um, but I also know it's the first song I ever heard mm -hmm. on this record too, because okay. uh, I heard it in like a bmx video and then didn't know who it was like it was just you saw something on like a skate video or whatever kind of mm -hmm. video and then that might have been it for a few years and then <laughs> you know uh then it was like from there it's like I, then i discovered like dag nasty because i you know downloaded it and then from there someone was like if you like dag nasty you should listen to embrace mm -hmm. and then you know from there someone was like well if you like embrace you should listen to second wind mm -hmm. 
uh, which was like the yeah someone else from Minor Threat's band, and that one I no one talks about Second Wind, no, uh, but it really just sounds like Minor Threat. Um, but yeah, it's just kind of like I don't know, but it is a weird foil to think about them in relation to like Dag Nasty, you know, or like even like comparing them to like Swizz, like there was something in the water that made bands sound this way. I that so. Dag, when, when does Can I Say come out? Is that 86? Well, and to answer your question about uh, Verbal Assault Trial, that came out in 1987. Okay. Um, so, yeah. you know, you know, it's kind of like where you kind of take the threads, mm-hmm. and I think they decided to kind of keep it more on, I guess we'll say punk in. Uh, but before I get off of that tangent mm-hmm. into another tangent and then another meta tangent... <laughs> Just like comparing this lyrically to like punk and hardcore that came before it, it's just so strange because like the how much like insulated and like this is what I did kind of lyrics like was so revolutionary. I feel like for that time period, it's something like now when you think you were mentioning like Bane, um, it's like we've heard this done a lot, mm-hmm. but for Ian to do it this way during embrace like it's it feels like a completely new thing mm-hmm. uh but now i've led us into a tangent off of another tangent uh no i i i'm with you there i, I i've i've off I've, I've never i've never chatted with ian mckay i've always i've always wanted to I've, i'm told he's a he, he he loves a good conversation and and i would just end up punishing the hell out of him but uh you know I, I, I kind of just seen as like a living historical figure, uh, artifact in many respects. Uh, and I got just so many questions I have, but the, on, yeah. on that, on that, on that tip, you know, like if, if, you know, empire is serving as a musical influence for embrace, I've always been curious, like what's driving you lyrically here? Like why, like, why are you, why are you writing this incredibly, like well-written poetically challenging song as track one on the record you know <laughs> like uh, like yeah. like that little like fun back and play i like like you know use of irony for a whole song is amazing and it works and it and it and it and it and it and it, and it skates throughout the whole record and but like who's you know maybe like I'm pretty sure the rights of spring record comes out like prior to this record and, or like, you know, or they're, you know, or they're playing, you know, they're playing live. They're having meaningful conversations. And again, I think that what we were talking about before is just, you know, in this very spec space of speculation, you know, having experienced 80, you know, 79 to 83 had to have informed the thinking and the conversations of 84, 85, 86. So, but like, I don't know. I would just be like, I would love to know like what exactly, like, like who specifically might be like getting it, getting inside Ian's head to be like, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to kind of like write in this seemingly brand new delivery. And, and, and it, it seems like it was fairly brand new. I mean, like it seemed like the public, in its limited scope at that time, had a negative 
or had an, a response to it. I mean, if, if I was the famous Thrasher magazine would review the record as like, or described his embrace as like a, they were the first ones to call it like emo hardcore or something like that. Yeah. And, you know, so like that, to me, that suggests that like this was new, uh, you know, th- th- their, this approach, this lyrical approach was of like relative vulnerability, you know, not based on like a hard, you know, impervious, you know, exterior um, that wasn't a part of the milieu of, of, of punk yeah. hardcore at the time. I think, yeah, I think the easy thing that I was kind of going on a tangent about is like, it felt like before to a point, and I know there will be exceptions in every kind of thing you set up. Um, it's like, there was a, you did this point. And then it became like, a, I did this point. And it, like, it's like, <laughs> like it felt like hardcore was definitely like S like thinking about even like SOA. It's like, you did this, like you stabbed me in the back. And then it's like, after that, it's like, I stabbed you in the back. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like the you to I, you know, kind of, t- it's almost like a taking ownership of where you fit in the world, I would assume. But it gets so granular, I guess, even when we're tying it back to where you asked, like, when can I say came out? That was March 1986, I believe. And Ian produced that yeah, record. Yeah. So it's like, even though Minor Threat had broken up, it's like the connections between these people that were like childhood friends and into, you know, I guess late teens and then twenties, mm-hmm. um, they were still like interconnected. So it's almost like there was just one person, be it Ian or Brian Baker, that like brought one record home. Let's say it was like a post punk record and was just like, This is what we're gonna do. And maybe it was Empire simply, or maybe it was U two. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Know? And then I it remember just, in I think Yeah, I, changed the fabric. I, I you know, that's something I remember reading that I haven't I think it was in our band could be your life or something like that. Uh, it, it, there's an interview with Ian in that, right? I think, uh, or like there's a Fugazi segment. I think so. I believe. If, if it's yeah. our band could be your life or like book your own fucking life or what, what some book I read it in college and I remember. Yeah. Dance of days has kind of yeah. same kind of conversations in it. Too. I remember reading that part of the reason why minor throat broke up was because you too like they wanted like you two was kind of you know cutting through and it from punk to pop culture i guess you could say and there was like some influence there and like and i think that ian wasn't down with that or something and then but oddly enough you know embrace comes out and like that's that's not all that far off from you two in my opinion <laughs> there's some you know just some, some of the melodic tones but um yeah yeah and even when you think about i guess that era of like things like seven seconds like the praise ep mm-hmm. and uh and then even to later seven seconds still around that same time you too was definitely coloring a lot of what people were doing around that time so there was like no way for any of these people to uh, escape it so yeah mm-hmm. i agree with you i don't think embrace sounds that crazy far away from you two of that time oh, yeah. like i could see where it's influenced by it mm-hmm. um and definitely the discussions have been made it, yeah it's it's a weird thing i think it probably seeped into ian more than probably ian realized <laughs> um you know or 
it's weird. Like I even think about like how did who wrote these songs? You know, like simply, I guess you would say like Mike Mike Hampton, I believe his mm-hmm. name is, did because he's the guitarist. But there's no way of knowing that it wasn't like Ian. Yeah, you know, like writing some. I I don't I, know I, from you know? what I gather my conversations with with friends and from the DC area and who I lean on is the more more experts in in, in that world. I, I think Hampton was like like just raining down riffs as far as I know. What I don't want to give up an official quote on that, but from what I gather and I, I've been in you know musical projects like that where you're working with someone and they're extremely intuitive, which is great. But, and then sometimes like, you know, and so they're great for like the more democratic songwriting experience. But I've also, you know, been in bands with people where there's like one person they're like, just check this out. And you're and like, you're like, this song is coming together so incredibly easy because you have a vision and this is, this is amazing. So like from what I gather, I think Hampton is really kind of like, generating most of the risks but the thing is there's no slight on him his his work afterwards to me is like is in the shadow of this record <laughs> like uh i i i can't you know of course he doesn't I'm, you know i doubt he was trying to recreate this record but i don't I'm, I'm just curious what the songwriting experience looks like when they were putting this record together um and yeah. like like i said before this is like there's no there's no filler here. There's no, the only song I think I would take off if I had to get rid of one would be if I never thought about it. Mm. Yeah, it, it just it, it, it's in that. I mean, for one, there's 14 songs on this record. I yeah. I am a I am a straight up tyrant when it comes to records that have more than 10 songs in them, I will like, I will look at them and I will be a smug prick and say, what the fuck is this band's problem? They're going to write a record that has 11 songs on it. What are they out of their fucking mind? The human brain is not going to enjoy this. So like for me to be celebrating a, a record that has 14 fucking songs on it. And here's the other thing that is crazy. I'm looking at the timelines of these songs. Only one of them is over the three-minute mark. One. It that it, it it's still. It is still like, it like it's hardcore. Like yeah, in terms of the length and the burst of energy that comes from it, uh, that is a goddamn accomplishment. If you were to look at like the average length of most bands, like they're almost always over the three-minute mark. When I'm writing music, I. I stri- I say like, listen, songs, if, if they're not over, I got this from Kurt Blue. He has this principle that if song, if the song is, is going to be over than two minutes, it has to be seven minutes long. <laughs> There's no in between. It's, it's funny. That's actually, it feels like I was almost like trying to avoid bringing that topic up again. Cause I feel like I've had a string of uh, episodes where I'll do the three minute song discussion and um i i feel like i i think sometimes people don't realize that they like longer songs more than they do because 
if you like the song that's longer, you don't really go, wait, how long is this? <laughs> so people end up like nobody questions how long, like, you know, uh, Stairway to Heaven is if they like it, you know, <laughs> yeah, like yeah, yeah. probably not the best example, yeah. but I, I think in a way I do agree with uh, Kurt Ballou. It's like if you're if you're not going to do like three and a half minutes or whatever the kind of like people's cutoff is, then yes, go, go for go for seven. Yeah. Um, but I, I've been I've broken this rule so many yeah, times. Yeah. Like, but but I'm also like it's like they still are essentially like a hardcore band and like the way even to the extension of what we would give that term. And yes, they do succeed, I guess, on that front mm-hmm. by not. Uh, what song is the longest song on this record, though? It's it, it's no more pain. And, mm. and 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 you know like i i like that song lyrically it's like incredibly powerful but it's the only it it it, it it's, i think it's kind of one of the only songs that drags for me on this record but again the lyrics are so powerhouse it, 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 it like it i can't i couldn't i would feel like like a complete poser if i took if i took that song off the yeah. record it, it's hard because i i like I like this song a lot, but I also think it is the song that might have aged the worst, mm. mainly just because the suicide line or the heroin line. Like, I think we have like a different mm-hmm. view of how we deal with, I guess, I guess we'd say like mental illness or, you know, mm-hmm. um, substance abuse than in 2021 than what we would have done in 1986 or 87, yeah. obviously. Mm-hmm. So that's like the only part that I feel like I kind of cringe when I hear like the no more suicide thing where I'm like, it's just want to, I feel like I just want to be like, it's a little bit more complicated than that, Ian, but you know, it's like, <laughs> there's no reason to really have these conversations via, uh, you know, while I'm listening to music that yeah, way. Yeah. Is, is the line death? Yeah. Death is not glamorous is, is, uh, you know, I, I'm so curious, like, you know, it's, you know, he's writing this in 80 lyrics in 85, 86, you know like what's the context contextual influence for for that line of like no more suicide and you know death not being glamorous and i i don't know like i i when does ian curtis die he, he dies in 80 80 81 yeah i believe I, I imagine that that was a pretty impactful event in in the world of punk for for mm-hmm. people and, and in the you know in the same way that after Kurt Cobain died I, I do remember I remember when he I do remember when, when he died I was on the school bus and the kids were on the school bus were talking about it and um, I don't know I, I like I mean the media was so shitty at that time in terms of its coverage and so it's so hard to say I was like in the second or third grade but I remember my parents, my brother was older. He loved Nirvana. And I, I, I remember my parents being concerned about this idea of kind of having like a, like just like the, the person, I mean, this is also my parents chiming in. So with like on their eighth their son in eighth grade, my older brother, but like the concern for the, fashionability of what like looked like you know like just like a like a drug addicted lifestyle uh and that was like 
you know, but again, it, like the media, as I said, like, and its coverage of, of Kurt Cobain was awful. You know, just in hindsight, you just look at it and it's just so repugnant. doesn't seem that all that far removed from how they've covered like Britney Spears. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I was going to say that. that's funny. Um, I mean, it's not funny, but uh, you know, it, it is funny looking back um, kind of on how we've treated like pop stars. I think even like Demi Lovato has had a lot of, you know, shit people. It's so strange, like kind of in hindsight, um, we'll like recontextualize those things. Um, for the time frame, I would say Ian MacKay was like, a professor you know uh <laughs> in in comparison to people around him that's it's profound so yeah. so i don't want to like judge the lyric that yeah, much but yeah. i'm just you know as a I, full ass adult yeah. you know i'm like huh well i, I, yeah. I again i think i'm more on the side of like how like just curiosity of like what was you know because it seemed like you know i just remember reading Stephen blushes uh American hardcore and uh for all its flaws but like it seemed like the jury was in in around 18 or 1985 that like you know punk was done you know or it was it just sort of like it was just more or less kind of collapsing yeah. on itself um and I'm just curious like about that line mm -hmm. if like you know what? What, what is what, what's the deal? What's the mood in '84? Is it is it is it this kind of like like hopeless <laughs> ho mm -hmm. hopeless uh, mentality? You know, I'm, I'm going to write that down. Maybe I'll, I'll ask Ian that in my I podcast. Think, <laughs> I think you should because this almost sounds like you're building. You could build like a um, almost like an NPR style or kind of like there's this one podcast where they try and figure out if uh this one song was written by the cia it's called wind of change uh and like just like how deep it goes into like figuring out but what, I, what i'm thinking though is like i wonder if there's almost someone that that some of these songs in like the dc scene were about like let's imagine if you will <laughs> that's really where i get into like the npr <laughs> side of it there was just like a person who died mm like and then essentially that's what caused revolution summer like if one of their friends died at, like when they were like 19 years old like how big of an impact that would have for you to like want to change like who you are mm -hmm. so potentially like let's say it was one of their friends that was straight edge and then stopped being straight edge and then died mm -hmm. it would potentially push you to like make different music and kind of react to things oh, yeah. differently. Oh yeah. So so yeah. in this kind of fanfic version, it's like it almost it almost feels like when you look at that song, it's like what happened? Uh, the same thing you're asking, like what happened to make you want to write that song? Mm -hmm. And like the shift kind of emotionally from the you to the I. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and these are all people in their early twenties, mid twenties and uh, like, you know, I, I from what I gather, like at the drive-in became a band partly because of a, a like a, a suicide in the social circle at some yeah. point. And, you know, I, there was a, a friend of a friend of a friend in my friendship circle when I was 19 who committed suicide. And I remember seeing my friends who were the closer friends 
deal with that and that thing. So, it, you know, I, this is maybe we're making a bigger deal of this one line, but it's, 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 it's a pretty powerful line that, um, yeah. uh, you know, uh, beg, begs a lot of questions. But it is the song that um, I was kind of referencing. We were trying to figure out from the lyrics that we were talking about at the beginning, uh, come from no more pain. Uh, your emotions are nothing but politics, so right. get control. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's like so much in here and embrace as a band that feels like it's like when you think about it's like he wrote it in a certain way and maybe there wasn't like any bigger context but even like this many years later we're prescribing so much Mm -hmm. but that also could have been the purpose of him writing that that way Mm -hmm. you know that could have been a legit reason like he was like you know i'll write these emotions i'm having but kind of take myself out of it so it's general and then we're kind of like oh but what do you mean by that Mm -hmm. and so but that also just means that I guess that's a good that's good songwriting. Yeah. Ian. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you might have a um, might have a future. <laughs> yeah. Um but I guess like even just like thinking of like where Ian went and thinking about this like uh, embrace feels more like a jur- someone's journal mm-hmm. than um like even what Fugazi did. Uh there's I think sometimes I've heard people say they don't like this record because of like how personal it feels. Like it almost feels like reading someone's live journal, yeah. <laughs> uh, which I guess a little dated reference. Um, uh, not with me. Um, yeah, yeah. I I don't know that that I've see I've the only uh, I've really never met many people who didn't like this record. The one person that I remember not liking this record was uh, his name is uh, DFJ Justin Atori. He sang for Mind Eraser and no tolerance and uh, mm. uh just he like like very like exclusively hated this band and I, but he did say that can't forgive is a perfect song or something like that don't quote me on that one buddy oh, it's such a good song. <laughs> like he he, he he could not uh he could not deny that but uh i've never really encountered too many people who you know, it's funny. I've never encountered, I have encountered many people who like embrace it. It's, it's for the most part, a relatively unknown band in, in the, in the larger scope of like the largest world of hardcore. Um, mm-hmm. And, and what I'm, I'm told that um, I think the friend, my friend Austin, he was saying that like he had heard that like, uh, I think Ian has recounted, or my friend, my friend Brian Simmons, who does Atomic Action. One of them uh, has said that Ian, he, like, he, maybe he didn't say that. I don't want to be putting words in his mouth, but like something along the lines of like, uh, it's it's one of his like more liked bands that people never really ask him about. Which I remember, I remember mm-hmm. hearing that being like, well. I got a lot of questions for him. Maybe I should punish him with some questions if he wants to be asked about it. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't, I don't personally. I don't understand it. I feel like if you, if you like any of the Ian bands or if you like Dag Nasty, I don't see why you wouldn't like Embrace. But, it, but to what you were saying, like, I feel like I only know people that really like this record or just don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I haven't. So maybe we've been bad disciples about <laughs> spreading the word about Embrace, so it's our fault. I made it a point 
Half Heart did a reunion and we had like 10,000 people out there. And I quoted them verbatim with the song. Uh, it's, I think it said gun. It's the, why are you here? Well, yeah. Would you tell me why? <laughs> I said that. And like, I never like, will begin a show, you know, thinking like, well, what do I want to say tonight? I have like a rough idea, but yeah, very rarely in my, for all the shows I've ever played, have I said, there's something verbatim that I want to say. That was it. I remember saying like, I am going to spread the word, the good word of embrace, because I just love that line. Why are you here? It's, it was such a, uh, it's one that I've always reflected on of, of all the many awesome lyrics that he's, that he's offered. But like, uh, I really, uh, I was like, I felt compelled. Like here I have 10,000 people here for just a regular hardcore show. I'm going to tell them to listen to embrace and to focus on this line. Uh, but I'm trying to be a better disciple on that case. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I guess like one, one thing I was thinking too, like we don't really have the answers of why this band broke up, unfortunately. Uh, but I wonder if it's almost like, I think bands are a relationship like, duh, you know, it's like, this feels like it was probably like the rebound relationship for Ian. So it was like, just not meant to last mm. like it's it's just like you get in a situation and you know you're not going to be comfortable um and then it just kind of fizzles out like potentially i i don't have i'm just made that mm. up essentially you know but it feels like it's like if you look at what he did i guess this is the rebound just in hindsight huh. yeah i that's an interesting take i i i mean if you look if you look in the lyrics of building you're gonna find some you're going to find some support for your argument there. Uh. <laughs> yeah. And that's where I'm getting that from because it really feels like there's so much, like if you look at like the song money, there's so much like you could imagine oh, yeah. that that was this a conversation and maybe it's quoted. It's like the, the complications of like getting popular in a band and then kind of like somebody calling you um, and I'll put it in a personal uh, standpoint. Like every time we would play a show in like one of my really old bands and I still do this to this day, it's like we don't take any money from it. Like we just put it in the band fund if we make money from a show. So it's like we had a guitarist that left the band just on his own volition, but the band was going to keep going. And he called up and was like, where's my cut? And we're like, what? We're still a band. Like, you know, <laughs> you know so it's like if, and that's not even that complicated, but it's like, if minor threat maybe in part of it broke up cause like money gets complicated. Like it seems to support it. You know, it's kind of like this all, a lot of this record seems to be like, I want that feeling back. I want before it got like complicated, mm -hmm. you know, and even it's like a, angrier at, at other people than you won't really hear ENB again. Mm -hmm. So it kind of like, it's like potentially he got it out of a system. I feel like, and, Lyrically, I think, like you said, I think it supports my argument, but I don't know Ian's <laughs> feeling at the time. I yeah, yeah. It's it, that's the thing I like about this record because I remember, you know, like the, the 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 lyrics are not embarrassing to go back to. They really aren't. I think that you know, I come back to them like these these hold up, but 
I remember when I the lyrics to building. I I remember hearing them when I was fifteen and I was like obsessing over this embrace tape. And uh I remember it was in high school and I, I just felt really dumb. My English I remember I remember my English teacher, Miss Fortier. Yeah, I'm calling you out now, Miss Fortier. Uh <laughs> she I don't know, like I just was not doing well in her class and I remember I went in I left in the middle of class and I went into the bathroom stall and I just listened to building in the bathroom stall for like 20 minutes and I was just on repeat just like I'm a failure I'm a failure I was, but it, and 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 now I've, I've aged with this record and the record has aged really well and in some sense I like now I'm old enough to kind of like I could be wrong, but like catch on the, the the kind of like sardonic, almost sarcastic element of that song. I, I don't know. Maybe maybe he was or or, or wasn't. I I'd I'd almost rather not know. But like it, yeah. uh, it it's it it's definitely a, a record that has continued to evolve with me over over the years for sure. Yeah, it, it feels like that song specifically can like mean a lot to like it it hit me like last year, like just kind of like wasn't really working, you know, because of just like COVID stuff. And, um, you know, like hearing that at that point when I was kind of like in between jobs, it hits you in a different way. And I'm like, I feel like it hit me in a way that I felt when I was like the first time hearing it, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so I think it, it kind of does like age with you and kind of hits you where you're at. Yeah. Um, you know, almost like just kind of like thinking about like, and, and I don't mean this in a condescending way, like almost like an intro to philosophy thing mm-hmm. that you can kind of like plug in <laughs> to, but which is, I think in a way a compliment, because it's like giving Ian a lot of credit, <laughs> you know, uh, that it can kind of plug into different points of your life and become like a different statement to where you are. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I did actually get a couple uh, questions from Bob. Okay. Shed. Oh yeah. Okay. Um, so he wanted to know. We may have already covered this. He said, "What would the second Embrace LP have sounded like?" Man, what a question! That 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 almost seems like an <laughs> like like an impot. That's one of the episodes of your podcast, <laughs> I think. <laughs> it, it you know it almost seems like an impossible question to ask because, to me, this record is part of its greatness is that it is it's like ephemeral nature it's just it was just this one record and then it's gone yeah um you know you can look to egg hunt and you can i think that wasn't egg hunt almost like written and recorded out of spite or something like that because like yeah I, I, it seems like you can say that about ian so much more than i've realized like how much of ian's vehicles were done out of spite <laughs> You know, or even like almost despite himself. Yeah, I, I can I can see that. I can, I can relate to that. I I, <laughs> yeah. I I started, I have heart started as like a revenge band, uh, and yeah. you know it's funny. I started this band called Clear, as like a kind of like a like a, almost like a a fuck you to have heart because have heart ballooned into something that was a little bit more advanced and more 
progressive, if you will, with with music in, in the realm of hardcore. And so I wanted to do something that was just like straightforward, uniform choice era, like straight edge hardcore. Uh, I can, I can, I can relate with that. And, you yeah. know, like I, yeah. So the, perhaps, yeah. But yeah, I, I, I think you could look to Egg Hunt, but Egg Hunt, those two songs sound dramatically different from, from the Embrace record. You know, like I, I, I welcome it in like the, the realm of Embrace, but like, I mean, I, I would love to hear what, an egg hunt LP would sound like. Cause I mean, those two songs are like absolutely perfect. Um, yeah. But I don't think you could say that a second embrace LP would sound like egg hunt. Uh, if you have the same members, I, uh, and I actually, I, I'd go as far as saying that it would potentially not be good, which is why, I, <laughs> which is why I think, the band probably ended because maybe there was, maybe it ended because they kind of recognized they wrote a perfect record. And like, you just don't, you don't mess with those things. Like if you, so many bands suffer with from writing the perfect first LP and then they can't move past it. And like, so I don't, I don't know, but I, I, maybe that's a, I'm dodging the question, but I think, I think it would sound bad. That, <laughs> I think yeah. it would be a bad record. Uh, it yeah, would... I, I'm not sure. It, it would have, I guess, tarnished, tarnished um, the way we're talking about this. Oh, yeah. It would have been a completely different conversation because then it's like even if at best it was their wig out of Danko's, hmm. you, know, yeah. uh, you know, so it's like to compare the two bands, uh, I say that, but then I feel like I have to retract it because I feel like I go back to Wig Out of Denko's more than I do Can I Say mm-hmm. now. But I also think that's it's like when you've listened to a record too many times, it's like you go to the other thing. You know, I, yeah. I, I'm like, I just don't like Wig Out. I, it, it, I don't know why. It just didn't, um, it never, it never fit. I just, I, I just, mm-hmm. uh, and very early on, I heard a rumor about Peter Cortner. He was a singer at the time. Yeah. He was like totally making fun of hardcore at a hard, mm-hmm. at a show that Dag Nasty was playing. And I remember, and I, I heard this when I was like 16 and I was like, well, fuck this record. <laughs> so I, I like buried the chances of me ever liking that record. Like, know 20 years ago so it'll be hard to resurrect it um well it feels like there's like just this time frame where it's like bands almost like that just that time frame where you're in between like one sound to the other which i think embrace really fits in um and i think wig Denko's kind of has that too it's like a band trying to get to something but I almost like it better for like that goofy in between. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Of, you know, before something becomes codified, like it's like, it feels like this is uh, the example I always give is like uh change today by TSOL mm-hmm. before they figured out that they wanted to be like a goth rock band. You know, they have this like weird in between and that record is great yeah. because like, it doesn't sound like a lot of anything else. See, uh, you know, that that's super interesting. I, I don't know if I've ever been 
I've ever done an in-between record. And uh, because it's, um, I, I've only, I've only been in two bands where we've done two LPs and well, yeah. but now so fiddlehead now has written a third record. So, and I think we, we wrote a third, we have a second record coming, second LP coming out now, but in the last year we wrote a third LP and it might be my first in between record because I'm in the writing process right now. And I'm kind of like, huh, I don't really know what to think of this it's just it's a little bit different because i've never done a third lp um but my hat goes off to people to any band that that tries to publicly discover themselves like and not Mm. really discover publicly figure out themselves yeah you know like that you're, you're taking a risk there and um yeah i've just never done that before maybe i maybe i'm kind of doing that now but you know from the luxury of being a part-time very part-time musician um yeah but it, it kind of oh sorry no i was just gonna say i think i think uh the the official answer to bob's question is it would be bad it would not be good <laughs> um okay well before i let you go um I feel, well, Bob had another question and it kind of leads me usually near the end of the conversations. It's kind of like what you're working on. And we, we kind of already started setting up. You're really good at this. You know, you're, you're setting me up to the next thing. (laughs) Oh, great. (laughs) So I appreciate your help on this. Um, but his big question, I I feel like it's like, it's going to like make you think a lot. It's like, he said, ask him about the future of Fiddlehead where it's going oh, okay all right so then yeah and i think you already started kind of going yeah. into it yeah yeah uh well you know it, it, like it's funny with with fiddlehead people the reviews people have said um oh it's like total like rev rev summer you know it, it sounds just like you know uh, people like thrown in like fugazi and right to spring and stuff and like everyone in the band has always been like really <laughs> because like we we've we've never we've really never strived to capture the like the dc sound into that band and there's like a couple songs here and there where i'm like yeah i could see i could see that there's there's one song on our first it's the last song on our first LP and it sounds it it sounds like it's the first song on steady diet of nothing sympatric uh mm-hmm. and i had to in the writer room i had to say we might be ripping off fugazi right now <laughs> and we're like ah oh, it's okay so it's different enough so we'll, we'll work on that but other than that like it, it's it, it's really not in the musical like you know pot that like you know stuff that we throw into the pot when we're writing our 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 record but um i think the 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 kind of there's some like slight curveballs that we've we've done on our on our two lps we're just like let's just sort of embrace a song that like doesn't really 
abide by any orthodoxy you know like just we'll just have a sound clip in this and like you know the song has just one repeating line over and over and over you know like that's i i look to i i look to all things dc if i'm ever if i'm feeling like what i'm doing is a little too on the rails um mm-hmm. just kind of mess things up a little bit but uh in terms of like the, the stuff we're writing now um you know, like I said, I've never written a, a third LP and that's actually kind of like a big, you know, I'm real. I've been writing music for since doing this for the last 20 years and I've never been a part of a project that's written a third LP. So it's actually really interesting for me. Um, and it, the, the newer stuff is, it, I'd say it's like, it, it's, it, I don't want to say it's, a huge departure but but in the conversation we're, we're having right now in terms of like having a trying to a band trying to sort of figure itself out publicly i'm definitely in, in the, this process like I'm, I'm i'm walking into the writing room with no no vision i don't i other than i just don't want to write the same record again anything goes and things are things are coming out pretty fugazi ish <laughs> and like and i and it which which honestly might be you know be interesting to see if like in 300 years from now if if like hardcore punk is still going if you could catch a pattern of what happens to someone who's like been doing like punk and hardcore for a while and to see like that eventually they all just end up having this like super like unorthodox kind of bouncy rhythmic anything goes approach which is my way of describing fugazi um yeah but uh so the newer stuff has that kind of liberated whatever sounds good we'll do it type of approach so i think that that's it but um there was you know we, 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 me and a, another member fiddle had, had talked before writing this third LP that we've only written. We haven't recorded it yet, but, um, we were thinking like the first two records complement each other so well that it actually, it, it might be just the perfect time to pull the plug. And, you know, because like, like if Weezer had broken up after Pinkerton, you know, they'd be, you know, indie rock or just you know like i guess legends you know they in my opinion you know and this is apocryphal to the drummer of fiddlehead they have written nothing but pure shit since uh since since pinkerton uh but um that's just my two cents uh well funny (laughs) funny you mentioned i'm gonna i'm gonna mention some other things too i'm trying uh trying to keep them in mind um whenever we were talking about doing this uh you one of the records you wanted to talk about was pinkerton and the only reason i didn't pick it was because i had just recorded an episode of uh the blue album and we actually had (laughs) on the blue album one we actually kind of started the conversation and then i'm i basically made fun of weezer so bad (laughs) 
that uh, my friend Maddie made me like restart the podcast because it was like it was getting a little harsh, like you yeah. know, and I and then you know they they were like, uh, can we just restart the podcast? And I was like, yeah, because I don't know this isn't going in a positive direction. Uh, so so I I know what you mean by the uh, what you were stating. Yeah, that has been bad up to a certain point. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so I agree with you. But then I felt like on the I I don't like to kind of like go after people's taste because I feel like that creates like a confrontational thing. Yeah, uh, with it. But uh, with embrace, I I love this record so much. I feel like it's almost impossible for me to really talk about because mm-hmm. it's just in my DNA at this point. Yeah. But <laughs> to what you were saying about I guess fiddlehead and from the outside, I think it is funny when people kind of like tell you what you sound like yeah when i felt like i was listening to when i heard springtime and blind for the first time and i had already it's already been loaded up with those things um or even people saying that y'all were a hardcore band and whatnot it was like do people that are saying this not listen to like sam i am or certain like oh yeah hot water music even oh, yeah I, I you mean, know and i'm like because i hear a lot of that oh totally in it yeah sam i am I, I I don't know why I didn't, I mean, that's a band I'll do a podcast on maybe, but like there is, I mean, God, if you want to understand like this era of, it's kind of interesting era of like punk with like, and it's like, now it's like fully, it's fully embraced this sound that t- title fight has that was very influential in, in, in just like making the hardcore scene just accept and, and, and embrace um but you know if you, there's there's one like note in stepson which is a song by sam i am that if you listen to it you will understand like 95 percent of title fights like for material <laughs> that's a, that's a little bit of a stretch yeah. but like so like there's this little kind of flare this note thing that title flight would do that is like so compelling and persuasive and that to me like i i remember when title fight put out i think it was shed and then floral grand i remember going like oh i love this this is this is great this is this is like a slightly more aggressive um and interesting take on sam i am but with doing their own thing and you know Ned was mm-hmm. rocking Sam I am shirt and like you know so they get it. So when people, it's funny people be like, "Oh, it sounds like DC hardcore," and I'm like, "I think that you might just be saying that because like, it's like you know I was in a hardcore band and now I'm in a band that isn't yeah. a traditional hardcore band and maybe you're just thinking that that's what every band sounds like." for someone who was in a hardcore band and then went did something that was slightly different than that. <laughs> so, uh, which is fine and well, uh, yeah. but yeah. And then some people will be like, Oh, sounds like total flight. And I'll be like, that's great. I love, I, I love being compared to a, a band like title flight. However, you have to s- listen to a band called Sam. I am because the fiddle just wouldn't, wouldn't exist like that there, uh, at all. And, and likewise with, hot water music we we got to play with them before the pandemic and like apparently chuck reagan was like doing a live video of one of our songs he was like this is a great song and we'd be like all right cool uh 
but yeah, like, you know, Hot Water Music and, and Sam I Am are, are two massively influential bands on, on me. And then there's just like a, a, you know, like throw in of like weird influences from everyone else in the band. But those to me, like that, that, that seems like a pretty accurate reading of that first record. And, you know, if you, there's some like Archers of Loaf songs that we've ripped off. Mm-hmm. Um, well, yeah, basically I say ripped off. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, one of the things I guess I say in my own band is uh, people, when we started, people were like, um y'all sound like dinosaur jr and then i'm like that's nice i don't think we do but you're also not taking into consideration all of these other bands we're ripping off. yeah like it's like like there's so much of like jawbox or you know sam i am and stuff that it's like to just call it dinosaur jr seems disingenuous to like everything else we're ripping off right <laughs> right 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 so I, so it's i, yeah. I definitely I, I can, it, you know, I think that that's something to do with, you know, Dinosaur Jr. is just, they're like the height. They're, they're at the, they're on like the largest billboard for anyone who's, you know, maybe like in their junior year of hardcore, <laughs> you know, like, like yeah. they, they, they're like, oh, like I could see that. And they don't see like, you know, Sebado folk implosion and like the, the yeah. other bands that were like in the world, but actually might be more directly influential. You know, it's just, I, I, I get that. Um, yeah. It's like everyone, I guess on your end, since you came more from hardcore bands, people just constantly want to just be like the box that is hardcore and it'll just smash you back into it. And it's a fine box to live in. Like, yeah. uh, you know, <laughs> we both love hardcore, but it's like, it's fine that some things just really aren't. And that's all it is. Yeah, and I, yeah, totally. And I think that that's actually the the interesting thing about hardcore that to bring it full circle back to embrace uh, yeah. is that the thing I love so much about this record is that it it took the rule book in a time in which like punk and hardcore was dead, and and like you know threw the rule book out, and in 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 my eyes gave new life to hardcore. And you see, you know, you see Dag Nasty coming out of this. You see Verbal Assault coming out of this. You see even Bold's second record. You know, Zach De, mm-hmm. Zach De La Roca is wearing, you know, an Embrace shirt in like, you know, in, in many different Inside Out shows. You know, like to me, the, the Embrace record is so massively restorative and, and, reimagines what hardcore can be and like just you know completely expands the universe and the definition of it so that you know like when you know you saying like you know like all right you know jamming back into hardcore i don't care that's cool like you know that make you know you're probably doing that because you know it hardcore has really defied a sound uh it's 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 you know, it's it's in the approach, I guess you could say, of fearlessness. I don't know. Maybe that sounds too like yeah. ideal, but like, you know, like I'm more than happy like for anyone to kind of jam me back into that world because I just think it's so yeah. like uh, unconcerned with convention. Yeah, I mean, I think you wrapped it up perfectly. So cool.
Welcome back. Thanks again to Pat Flynn for coming on the pod. It was a huge honor to chat about one of my favorite bands. Please check out the new Fiddlehead album out May 21st on Run For Cover. As I mentioned at the top, please check out Pat's old band Sweet Jesus, and for some wild reason, of course, if you have not, check out Have Heart. Simply a great human and a great discography. And hey, as you heard, maybe another Fiddlehead album in 2022 or 2023. Okay, next week on the pod, we're chatting with my longtime friend, Matt Scottaline of the band Hurry. We're talking about the 1995 Teenage Fan Club album, Grand Prix. Had a great time catching up. Listen to Hurry and Teenage Fan Club before next week. Thanks as always to Sarah Blumenthal for editing and producing the pod. Thanks as well to Purdy Maddie for the theme. Please check out our Patreon and leave a review wherever you do that sort of thing. Well, anyway, see you next week. <laughs>